Hi there, good afternoon, and welcome to this recorded session sponsored by Mernica Healthcare on empowering patients to play a role in the care of diabetic foot ulcers. My name is Andrea Coleshaw, and I am a Global Professional Education Manager here at Mernlicker, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Dr. Paul Chadwick, Visiting Professor at Birmingham University, Consultant Podiatrist, and based in Manchester, specialising in tissue viability and research. Hi, good afternoon, Paul. How are you? Hi, Andrea. Thanks. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, yes. We've got a few questions for you here on the matter of patient engagement. So I'm going to jump right, right in. Considering the COVID-19 pandemic situation with diabetic foot ulcer patients, obviously having their wounds at an increased risk of complications, what makes patient engagement or patient empowerment such a special subject for you to discuss, to rethink how we should manage wound care in the new normal? Okay, um, I'll just take you back a little bit in terms of back into the old normal um, and talk about why patient engagement, patient empowerment, patient activation became more prominent uh, during the pandemic. We think back into some March in the UK, but I know earlier in some other European countries where when the pandemic hit, many services were stopped abruptly or cancelled or reduced significantly almost overnight. We were very fortunate in the UK and, and I know in some other countries that diabetic foot ulcer management was maintained, so we still could manage to see patients who had active foot ulceration. But the patients who had um, high risk of foot ulcers or were in remission from foot ulceration had their services stopped almost overnight. So we had this their prevention care, their protective care, and all the services that normally underpinned them, preventing them getting foot ulcers, was taken away almost overnight. Um, you talk a little bit sometimes about remission as well in patients who have diabetic foot ulcers. Can you expand a little bit on what you mean by, by that? Yeah, certainly, yeah. I mean, the, the language of um, remission is really much taken from the, uh, the context of, of, of cancer language. And and this has come really has become much more prominent over the last sort of five years when the rate of mortality associated with somebody um, developing a foot ulceration has been seen to be higher than many common cancers such as prostate or breast cancer. So we're starting to develop that analogy of, of uh, cancer and DFU being synergistic. There's also got this um, level of recurrence that occurs in diabetic foot ulcerations. And we know from the papers that Armstrong wrote in uh, 2017 about the high rate of recurrence at one year and three years. So what we're starting to talk about patients not being healed, but actually being put in remission when they've had a foot ulcer. And we're starting to talk about ulcer-free days. So we're talking about how we, how we keep people away from foot ulceration for as long a period as possible. So that's why I've really talked about remission. If, you go, if we go back to the, the question really to expand a little bit more is um, about the, the, why it's become important at the moment um, in the new normal, if you like, is that during the period of the pandemic, um, many of the traditional medics and surgeons and uh, practitioners who would look after diabetic foot ulcers um, were moved away, were redeployed um, due to the COVID situation. And we had to start thinking about how we would manage patients moving forward and how their care would be delivered both by different practitioners in a different way, in a different environment, and how really we could engage patients more in their care as became a necessity during the pandemic. So that's why it's sort of become important um, more so at the moment. So where would you say this puts the patient then? 
with all of this taken into consideration? Um, that's another good question. Thank you. Um, so, the, yeah, the patient needs to be at the centre of the care. Um, and that's been discussed and mooted certainly in NHS uh, sort of UK health systems for the for a number of years. We had the five year forward view some years ago, which described uh, public health messages and prevention, and we had the ten year plan, which was um, published some um, twelve months sort of prior to the uh, the pandemic. And this really described this this role of patient activation, where we start to get patients more involved in their care. And it's really about putting the patient at the centre of a sustainable healthcare system. Um, we do need to consider the patient's knowledge, beliefs, and also their uh, preferences. Um, and patient activation describes these knowledge, beliefs, and preferences, and how we embed that into the system and locus of control of care. We know from the evidence that people who are involved more in their care have better outcomes. So the pandemic has helped us really focus that in terms of putting the care back towards the patient. Patient activation has been shown, again, from the evidence to be more beneficial in patients with long-term, in people with long-term conditions. So we know that diabetes is a long-term condition and we know that foot ulceration can become a long-term condition, a chronic problem. So the role of patient activation and patient engagement and patient involvement is really key to managing these people as we move forward. And this has been highlighted by the pandemic. So I'm guessing you've seen the result of the pandemic um, on these direct services for these patients in particular. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a change in the delivery of care and we know that patient activation has been sort of accelerated overnight. And we, I think this was a, as a, was a uh, an idea from the NHS and uh, was developing as a, as a principle that we should develop over the next few years, but really the pandemic has accelerated that process. The rapid development of teaching aids, virtual uh, consultations, the use of things of how to dress your foot for patients have become a, a, a mainstay of, of, of patient care. And what we really need to do is think about the culture of clinician control of a, of a patient care being taken back to more towards a patient-centered locus of control. And that seems to have worked. It happened rapidly, but we shouldn't be reverting back from that, that locus of control where we've got this joint care between the patient and the practitioner. Just, sorry, just to give an example, I know, sorry, I interrupted your question there, but the, there was a, a great example that was given over Twitter and, and Facebook and one, of the, and one of the groups that I'm in and described a patient who from Glasgow and the uh, Greater Glasgow and Clyde Health Board where they treated a patient virtually with a foot ulceration, never saw a clinician in, in, um, in, in, in real life, but the patient healed and they had quite a significant ulceration. That was about supporting the patient virtually, giving them support and advice on how to manage and dress the wound, advice about keeping pressure off. And over a period of six weeks, this wound healed with no sort of direct clinical involvement. So it, it can work, and I would advocate for that for every case, but I think there's a, we need to start thinking about how we get the balance right between what patients' knowledge and skills are, what, what the health services can provide. And, and like I said, the pandemic's accelerated that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So a slightly different question now. Um, I want to come on to how the COVID-19 pandemic has led to a shift in the settings of wound care from hospitals to off-site centres or wound care at home in order to protect patients from exposure to contamination. In your experience, what needs to be done to ensure 
patient engagement in this type of treatment? I think, um, <clears throat> I think that the new front line very quickly became away from the, the sort of traditional specialist centres, the use of um, care closer to home with patients being seen maybe in their own home or in primary care services or being supported by uh, virtual consultations became more of the norm. But key to making this work and making sure the patients are supported within this is, is education um, and support for the patients. Um, I, I presented at the International Working Group of the Diabetic Foot in The Hague last year, and, and one of what I talked about was clinician education and focused very much on the weakest link and focusing on the, that person who, who's reckon, who sees that patient with a foot ulcer for the first time. And what they do to that patient or what they refer for that patient or how they manage that patient is pivotal in, in the outcomes for that patient. If we take that stage further, further and we think about um, patients being responsible for that activation, so they recognise, they're checking their feet, they see that they've got a foot ulcer, or it's a clinician who's not used to managing a foot ulcer sees that foot also and recognising it. Them having the understanding and knowledge of what to do with that is really key. So it's important that we don't ex just let patients and, and clinicians go out there on their own unsupported, but we support them with good education and also the recognition of, of, of how to refer and how to manage these uh, conditions moving forward. Okay, that's a good point. With patient engagement, patient empowerment, patient activation, that phrase obviously now becoming quite a well-known one, and it being such a strong focus, to what extent should we ask or expect patients to be involved in their own care? I think that very much depends on the patient and, and their needs and capabilities. Um, it showed within, as I said, it showed within the, the pandemic that people actually welcome the opportunity to be involved in their own care. Often we didn't give them that opportunity. Um, but we, so they do need to be involved, but they need to be supported within their own capability and capacity. So things, simple things that we've described for years, such as checking the feet, but maybe moving on if people are able to, to doing their own dressings, certainly managing their own diabetes control, making sure their blood sugars are maintained. And as people and patients who become experts in their own care, perhaps an understanding of why offloading is important, why they need to rest occasionally with their feet and keep the foot offloaded. And also understanding perhaps even in more complicated things what, what the role of neuropathy is. So we, could, we would judge this on an individual basis, but we need to put the patients involving them as much as they can within their own care. And do you anticipate there being some challenges to this type of change? Yeah, obviously there's, there's there's challenges from a patient education perspective and the, and the understanding and the knowledge and skills of, of, of people with diabetes and making them aware and upskilling them and making them more expert in their own care. But for me, the biggest challenge is, is clinician culture. And um, clinicians don't come into healthcare for financial gain. Mostly it's come, people come into um, a caring environment because they care or healthcare environment because they care. They care about people and they want to do lots and lots for the person. They want to make sure they optimise their opportunity for healing. They end up often doing more for the patient and really taking over the control of the patient's own health away from the patient. And that becomes difficult in that sense is that we've, we need to think about how not we're not going to give back that that. that mm control back to the clinician and really think about how we share that care and it is the patient's health problem we should be there supporting them providing advice treatment management where appropriate but not really 
not taking the control of that. And we can do that through locally focused support mechanisms, um, local um, uh, internet, internet sites for local services, so people can access their local services and understand how they refer locally. Yeah, and you mentioned you know, the use of kind of digital tools and the internet there, telemedicine, um, especially when it comes to follow-up consultations. Have you had any experience with that type of uh, connection with patients? Yeah, I mean, digital solutions are, offer potentially significantly enhanced people's outcomes and experiences, both in terms of state provision and people being able to access uh, health and, and social care services. My own personal experiences was very positive and again i've just described a case where um in our local area where a, a podiatrist was seeing a patient in their own home and were querying an admission for a, a critical limb ischemia a diabetic foot ulcer with a critical limb ischemia they managed in the early days of the pandemic to use the sort of whatsapp type device on, the, on their mobile phone to video call in the vascular surgeon they had a consultation with the patient a discussion and it was decided that the patient didn't need hospital admission at that point. So that was beneficial both from a patient perspective and that they weren't um, going into a hospital condition where, where they was overwhelmed at that time with COVID patients, but also maintaining that, that the patient had some orgs of control and that the practitioner felt supported in their decision-making about the patient not needing admission. So there's really positives around the use of, of, of telemedicine from my own experience. Equally, as the pandemic developed, we got more focused tools, such as things like Attend Anywhere, which really helped people have a proper consultation online with, with a healthcare practitioner. Just taking away from DFU, um, for example, and the, the, showing the benefit of virtual consultations, one of the other areas we're working with musculoskeletal uh, health. And the, this healthcare area managed to see 80% of their referrals for MSK um, problems and managed to resolve 80% of those patients problems without actually seeing the patient in, in real, real life. So 80% of the referrals are seen and 80% of those were, were managed without any onward uh, need to see a clinician directly. So that's really key and really important is the face-to-face the, the -face and the digital solutions, but also key is the support from the um, educational element for the clinicians. So as I described, that, that practitioner, the podiatrist in the home, they need support. And it was good to see FDUK in the UK come out early with supportive um, literature and guidance and some brief webinars, for example, how to, how to, how to do an, an assessment for infection, how to do an assessment for ischemia. And that was quickly followed up by um, Default International, which developed um, international guidelines and what they call the, the COVID Academy, so supporting clinicians worldwide in how to manage these complicated uh, conditions. So... It's this combination of using education, support, and digital solutions, which can help patients be more involved in the care, but also um, manage these problems in this new normal. Yeah, absolutely. So coming on to our final question now, um, and this is really where industry maybe could play a part, could play a greater role in delivering those digital educational tools, especially when it comes to the shared care that that patients would benefit from and clinicians alike. Do you feel there's a role for this? And if so, what kind of role would that look like? Yeah, definitely. And, and I should have really mentioned it earlier in my, in my, when I was talking about Default International, but it was good to see, uh, for example, Mernlicher um, producing um, guides for patients. And they were on their Advantage website, on, their, on, their, um, on the Mernlicher website. And it was really key that they delivered a series of supportive webinars 
um, both for clinicians and also for patients. And we had simple things of the how to um, do addressing, for example. So if you're being expected as a patient to take more involvement in your care, you really need advice and support to do that. And industry has a role to play in that in providing education for that, for, for, for uh, people who, who suffer with the condition. So I think it was good to see Murnock do that very early on within the pandemic. I think as we move forward and as we develop a new normal, I think there will be a lot more requirement for patient education and certainly bite-sized uh, mini education, mini webinars for patients who will want to be more involved. I think once people start to get more involved and more confident in their own management of, of healthcare problems, with support obviously for clinicians and the virtual consultations and all the things we've described, but it's key that we get that support from, from industry to also in terms of the education, because they're one of the key deliverers of education in this area. Oh, well, thank you very much for that. Um, come to the end of our short interview. It's been great to speak to you, Paul, and uh, we will now end the recording and we'll hand back to the DFSG meeting. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time.